0: Yeah, so you want me to, like, cue it up? My favorite song just happens to be a hymn. It's Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And it's because of my mom, actually. Growing up, my mom played the piano on Sunday mornings, and so she'd practice a lot on Saturday nights. And I remember falling asleep to that song so many Saturday nights. And she also had this really sweet tradition of just coming in and singing to us. I shared her with my twin brother and she'd sing to us as we'd fall asleep. And I always asked for great is thy faithfulness, probably because it's longer and so it was kind of postponing bedtime. But as a kid, I really loved the phrase that morning by morning new mercies I see. And I don't think I really understood it until I got older. And now there's so many times I look back in life and I'm able to just point out The mercies that God has given me each day.
1: Mm. Thank you, Joy, for sharing that story. There's something about songs, isn't there? They worm their way into our heads, and sometimes they make their way into our hearts as well. You know what an earworm is? This past week, for example, if you were here last Sunday, there's a song, Standing on the Promises, an old hymn. I kept catching myself humming that the first half of the week this past week. A couple of you last week told me that you were doing the same. Songs make their way into our heads. They also make their way into our hearts. My mom also used to sing me to sleep sometimes at night. And I can think of some of those songs, actually Great as Thy Faithfulness, is probably one of those songs. My mom passed away my senior year of high school. And I remember a season right after that. There's another song I'm thinking of right now. Oh, my goodness, did it minister to my heart. Music can become heart language as well. We're going to explore that theme for the next five weeks together in this singers and songwriters series that we launch right now. In 1993, uh, a singer-songwriter, an artist named Rich Mullins, recorded uh, one of my all-time favorite albums. I wore that sucker out. Remember back when uh, Columbia House Records, my era would have been the CD era, I think for like a penny. I got 11 CDs and I jumped in on that scam. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I had an old Walkman CD player, earphones. This is long before the iPod. and iPhone, I wore out his album, A Liturgy, A Legacy, and A Ragamuffin Band. In that album, he had a song that I dearly, still to this day, love. It's called Hold Me Jesus. There's lyrics in that song. Spoke to my heart during that rough season in my life right after my mom passed. Listen to these lyrics. See if this isn't art, if this isn't poetry. Well, sometimes my life just don't make sense at all. Anybody been there? When the mountains look so big and my faith just seems so small. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory, that is poetic. Won't you be my prince of peace? I need to feel your presence right now. I love this line. Surrender don't come natural to me, I have thought about this line probably a 100 times since I memorized this song right after my freshman year of college. I'd rather fight you for something I don't really want than take what you give that I actually need. I beat my head against so many walls. Now I'm falling down. I'm falling on my knees. So hold me, Jesus. I'm shaking like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? I don't know if you've been following the news, songs do become heart language, not just for individuals, but for large groups of people. Does anybody know who Oliver Anthony is? Have you heard of this guy? Like the last three or four weeks, he's become a sensation. Here's a picture of him. He's a dude in Virginia that uh, wrote a song. Maybe you've heard the song, it's Rich Men North of Richmond. How are you tracking with me? You know who this guy is? He recorded the music video, literally, this is his guitar. He's out in front of his deer stand. That's what's behind him right here. Kind of a redneck dude in central Virginia. He's talking about Richmond north of Richmond, Richmond, Virginia. North of Richmond, Virginia is Washington, D.C. It's kind of a, a critique, if you will, of our times. You could disagree with his politics, and that's cool. You cannot disagree with the truth. You have to acknowledge that the song is poetic, it's poetry, and it seems to have tapped into a culture. It was number one on a whole bunch of different charts, including the iTunes most downloaded list, not just that song, but he recorded and released a second song, at least, maybe two or three during that same era, and he was number one and number two on that iTunes most downloaded. It was so interesting to me. Um, it just kind of spoke volumes about the era that we live in. If you had purchased the number two song off of iTunes, what you were buying, literally, he recorded this with his I, well, what an iPhone, I think it was a Samsung Galaxy. And he just set it up and recorded a music video and he uploaded the audio from that. If you bought it, you were buying something that got, per, that got recorded on a phone. Isn't that interesting? And a culture said, hey, we're recognizing, we're tapping into this. There's a line in that song living in the new world with an old soul. That's poetry, it's poetic. I've thought about that a few times. Do me a favor right now. Would you open up to Psalm 27 in your Bible? Psalm 27. By the way, bring your Bibles through this series. We're going to spend some time in the text, line by line, going through these beautiful old songs. 3,000-year-old worship songs that God has something to teach us in. Psalm 27. Before we look deeply today at that passage though, I want to spend just a couple of minutes giving some cautions, kind of setting the stage for the whole series as we think about the Psalms collectively as a as pieces of art, God speaking through music. Here's a couple of things to think about. First of all, be careful not to co-opt art. What I mean, what do I mean by this? Oliver Anthony, actually, that song, Rich Men, North of Richmond. Apparently, it got used in the first Republican presidential debate, and afterwards, somebody asked Oliver Anthony, what do you think about that? He said, I was actually writing that song about those jokers on the stage. They were co-opting my art, in other words. Those are my words. I was actually writing about them. And they were trying to twist it and make it something else. Be careful not to co-opt art. Be careful as we study scripture. We have to recognize that the psalms, collectively, it is art. It's an artistic expression. Let me say it this way. We choose to approach the psalms as descriptive, not prescriptive. Descriptive. Most of the time it's David. David. He wrote some, most of the Psalms. He's, it's almost as if you're opening up his prayer journal and you're reading how he felt, what he was thinking. Be careful not to co-opt that. Make that, well, let me say it this way. How many of you have heard uh, of the description of the Bible as God's little instruction book for life? Have you ever heard of that? I think there was even a book along those lines several years back. I, I, I get what the author is saying, But I kind of push back a little bit on that. It really isn't. The Bible is not to be designed to be God's little instruction book for life. Not entirely. There are some places in Scripture where it is a bit of a how-to manual. The Psalms is not one of those places. The series we just wrapped up, Recovering Pharisees Like Me. This was prescriptive. It was, take two of these and call me in the morning, or do these things, don't do these things. Jesus was very clear, prescriptive. He was saying, don't be like the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very prescriptive. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to stop doing. The book of James is very prescriptive. Stop doing this. Start doing this. But there are other places in Scripture, and I would count the Psalms in there, It's more descriptive, not prescriptive. So I said it before, I'll say it again approach the Psalms as descriptive. David is simply saying, This is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm thinking. Be careful not to co opt his art. We'll talk about prescription later in the message. David, David is a warrior poet. David is the kind of guy who knows very well the topic of what we're talking about today. He knew what it was like to have his heart pounding. He knew what it was like. He knew what it was like to be literally praying for his life. I could tell you story after story, but when David felt anxious, today we're talking about a song for anxiety. Uh, In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about repentance. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about gratefulness. But today we're talking about the title of today's message is A Song for Anxiety. And I want to point out that um, David, in his description, we're going to read Psalm 27. We're going to see that this is David's song for anxiety. And as a warrior poet, he knew exactly what this felt like. Each week, as we do this, I want to have a moment in the service where we honor the public reading out loud of Scripture. We're going to stand to do that. I'm going to invite you to do that right now as a friend of mine, Josh Stid, comes up here. He's going to read out loud Psalm 27. See if you can listen underneath this for some anxiety. By the way, Josh, was in my youth group years ago, and I love that we get to do this together. Listen carefully, listen clearly here. See if you can hear some anxiety in this text. Josh, read it for us, will you? Am I reading it, the anxiety?
0: Um, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me, devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even though then I will be confident. One thing I ask for, of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and, and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes or false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.
1: Thank you, Josh. Would you bow with me? Father, we bow our heads and we say thank you. Thank you for these descriptive words of anxiety. We recognize that David felt them deeply. Lord, I recognize that we feel anxiety deeply. So Lord, today as we seek to listen and apply, we pray that you use these words to speak just like you did 3,000 years ago, to speak to our hearts and our minds today. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Would you like to know what occasion Psalm 27 comes out of? In my opinion, we could turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 22 and we could see the story where David's heart is beating out of his chest. And he writes a song for anxiety. 1 Samuel chapter 22. The king said, Let's pause here for a second. What king are we talking about? Well, it's not David, he's not king yet. David is still the young man on the run. The king is King Saul, and he's quite mad. He's crazy. He's actually trying to kill David. He's paranoid that people are covering David's tracks for him. Look what Saul does in Just a crazy stroke of, my goodness, you'll surely die, Ahimelech. You and your whole family. He's talking to a priest. He's talking to a man of God. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too, well, they've sided with David. They're not on my side, they're on his side. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. This would have been a big deal. We don't want to do that. What are you asking us to do? Are you kidding me? The king then ordered Daog, you turn and strike down the priests. So Daog, the Edomite, he had to go outside of Israel's clans, find an outsider to do his dirty work, turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. What is a linen ephod? Well, it's priestly garb. What he's just done is killed one of the priestly cities. Actually, it gets worse. He also put to the sword, Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. When the 12 tribes inhabit the nation of Israel, God gives each of the tribes their own region. Think of it like as a state. One of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, it's genius. He says, I want you, you're the priestly clan, I want you interspersed all over the nation. So I'm going to give you not a state, but you're going to have little cities all through the land. And I want you to set up that as kind of a base camp to infiltrate the whole nation with the word of God. Saul's just come in and he's wiped out an entire city of priests. Of people who were born into the worship and the leading of worship of God's people. Let's keep reading. Skip down a few verses, you see David. He hears the news. He literally says, I am responsible for the death of your whole family and the whole town that was wiped out. Do you think David might have been feeling anxious in that moment? Yeah. He knew what it was like to feel anxiety. And there's some descriptive language that comes out of this. We're pretty sure he wrote Psalm 52 as a direct result of this story. Actually, let's look at that. The psalm starts down here, but right above the psalm, even in the oldest texts we have, it says for the director of music, it's a psalm of David. When Daog, we just read about him, the Edomite, had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. And killed him. David sits down and he pins the words to Psalm 52. I think I could make a pretty good argument that he also, at some point in his life, thinking back to this moment, writes Psalm 27, the psalm that we just read. I I don't know about you, but when I visit a museum and I'm looking at artwork, I kind of need somebody to tell me what I'm looking at. Anybody else like that? I can be standing in an art gallery looking at this and I, you know, somebody walks up speaking with hushed tones. Well, what you're looking at there is the artist. Those are broad brush strokes. He must have been feeling this and this happened in this period of his life and I just kind of turn and okay, thank you. I needed that because I don't have that art critic piece in me. I want to introduce you to an art critic for the Psalms, several of these exist. I have fallen in love again with this book over the last several weeks. This is a book, I love everything about this book. The Psalms outlined. I've got some pictures, you can see it a little bit closer. I love everything about it, I love the way it smells. It smells like a musty old bookstore. I've gone almost completely digital with my Bible study strategy now, but occasionally I like to pull out an old book It smells like an old book. This was a gift to me from another David. We're going to study King David and some of the psalms that he wrote. And this is my Uncle David. He was a career missionary. Uncle David planted churches in Canada and the Dominican Republic and Costa Rica. Somewhere in the middle of all that moving, about the time that I was ordained into ministry, he said, hey, can I give you some of my personal library? I'm done moving it around. I love this book. It was written... In 1925. It's almost 100 years old. My uncle David bought it, according to this signature here, uh, in November of 1957. This is one day before my birthday, 17 years before I was born. And I love an awful lot about this. You can see some of the sermons that he probably preached from this. I love this book. It's like an art critic. It's explaining some of what we're reading in the Psalms. And if you'll indulge me, I want to share with you four descriptive words. These are words from David. Here in a little bit, we're going to talk about four prescriptive words. Take four of these and call me in the morning. For us, what do we do with anxiety? But I want to spend some time right now pulling these straight out of this cool old art critic book. Four descriptive words from David that explain what David, the warrior poet, what he was feeling in this moment of anxiety. What did he do? Descriptive words, like this one. This is a picture that I took from that book. The first thing that he felt that we see there in the text is confidence. Confidence in God. He's feeling anxiety, but yet his confidence in who God is is not rocked. Look at this in verse 3. Though, and we just read it together, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Why? Because I know who my supreme commander is. I know who I'm following. He has confidence in God. It reminds me of that song, the Rich Mullins song I told you about a bit ago. One of the lines in that song, your Salvation Army Band is playing this hymn, and your grace rings out so deep, it makes my resistance seem so thin. Poetry, God, even when it doesn't feel like it, when it feels like the world is spinning out of control around me, you are in control. I have confidence in who you are. I love this art critic uh, and the way each of these words of um, uh, confidence, uh, descriptive words of God, there's a couple of detail words that go along with them as well, like this one. Here's a detail word that goes with confidence, defense. I have confidence in you, God, because of the defense that you're providing. You see this right there in the text. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God is in control. Whom shall I be afraid of? God is my defense. How about this detailed word describing the confidence that we have in God? Deliverance. He takes care of me. We read it earlier in Psalm 23, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We find it here in verse 2 of Psalm 27, when the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Because God, you've got my back. We're going through the valley of the shadow of death together. Here's another descriptive word that describes what David is feeling in Psalm 27. As he feels anxious, he also feels anxious communion with god god is with him look at number verse 4 one thing i ask from the lord this one only do i seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life we see that echoed in psalm 23 again to gaze on the beauty of the lord and to seek him in his temple i want communion with god I want to be reminded of the truth, God, that you are with me in the middle of my anxiety. Thank you for being with me. A couple of detailed words that go right along with that, according to our art critic. How about the word protection? He protects us. Look in verse 5. For in this day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter. He's going to set me up on a rock. He is protecting me. How about this other detail word that goes along with this? The word praise. Praise. I'm going to praise him because he's worthy of it. He deserves it. Look at this in verse 6. When my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, at his sacred tent I will sacrifice. This is a worship word with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is a vow to offer praise and thanksgiving. Again, that Rich Mullins' song, I can't tell you how many times as I was singing it on a charter bus, as I was traveling around after my freshman year of college and then my sophomore year of college, this line captured me every time. And I wake up in the night and I feel the dark. It's so hot inside my soul, I swear there must be blisters on my heart. So hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaken like a leaf. You've been king of my glory. Won't you be my prince of peace? Here's another descriptive word. Compassion. The compassion of God is on full display here. Even in verse 10, we see this reflected. Though my father and mother forsake me, it seems like everybody has abandoned me, but not not God. He has compassion toward me. A couple of detailed words that go along with that. How about the word goodness? Goodness. We see goodness. Skip down to verse 13. I remain confident. Let's go down to verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's looking for God. And he sees the goodness of God on display. Here's another detail word. The word guidance. He literally asks for it from God in verse eleven. He says, "Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. I need you to guide me from here to there." The fourth word. I love this. The fourth descriptive word that's found in this art critic's words. Number four is comfort. We see comfort coming from God. Verse 14, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He provides comfort. If you look for it, are you feeling anxious? Turn to God. Here's a couple of detail words that go along with that. According to our art critic, how about the word support? Verse 13, he says, it's almost implied there, if it had not been for the goodness of the Lord, I would be in bad shape. God supports him. And God's strength is very much on display. That's the second detailed word we find here. Verse 14 says, very clearly, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is what David is feeling. These four words of description. Remember the Psalms are descriptive, not so much prescriptive. But before we go to the prescription, the medicine that we probably should take when we're feeling anxiety, could we just take a minute and make it personal? You don't want to co-opt art, but you do want to grab what you can and walk it into your life to help you moving forward. Let's talk about, through the lens of description, let's describe your song for anxiety. If you were writing a song for anxiety, if you were Oliver Anthony, what would you write about today? What are you feeling anxious about right now in this moment? Could I encourage you? Anxiety is not a four-letter word. Anxiety, well, it really is just honest. It's what you're feeling If you let your heart and your mind kind of ruminate on some of those initial feelings, it can go full-blown into feeling anxiety. And I want to encourage you today, if you're feeling some of that, don't be ashamed. The warrior poet knew anxiousness. The first step is admitting that we have a problem and then we need to move through that. So what has you anxious today? Is your kid making dumb choices? Any parents in the room feel anxiety surrounding that? Maybe you have a spouse that's fighting with you or you have relational discord with somebody that means an awful lot in your life to you and you feel anxiousness surrounding that. Do you find yourself doing too much doom scrolling? Dawn just bought me a pair of reading glasses. Yeah, I think it might be time for me to embrace the truth that it's time for me to start using those more. And they have a blue blocker strategy in them. And I thought, how interesting is that? We are so much ingrained in these devices now. They're starting to adapt reading glasses for that. Do you find yourself doom scrolling? And it makes your heart just feel anxious. Maybe it's the war in Ukraine. Maybe it's a contentious election on the horizon. Maybe you're feeling a perceived loss of cultural influence. The more I speak with older senior saints, the more I hear, hey, do you remember the good old days and in this day? This is what I feel anxious about. I look at the world around me, and I'm worried about this, and I'm worried about that. What has you feeling anxious today? What well, could we spend the rest of the time we have together talking about the prescription? Take two of these and call me in the morning. Anxiety is a very common issue in our culture today. Stress, worry, fear, and doubt are just a few of the common anxiety symptoms, and I bet some of you are feeling those even right now as I say those words. When we experience any of those feelings, it begins to affect our body, sometimes headaches, migraines, heart palpitations and flutters. Makes, maybe it makes a, a heavy weight feel caught in your throat or maybe in the pit of your stomach anxiety affects our thoughts do you ever find yourself saying i feel so overwhelmed i don't have control in my life i'm scared of my future and what's going to happen these body sensations these feelings and these thoughts can take over our lives and they can also take joy out of living each day path of anxiety can lead us into a land of isolation and it prevents us from living the life that god has planned for you we need a prescription what do we do The author, Jerry Bridges, wrote a book several years ago. I love the title, Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And in this, he asks a couple of questions. Actually, it's the same question, and you could ask it two different ways. He asks the question, can you trust God? In other words, is God trustworthy? Is he dependable in times of adversity? But the second meaning is also critical, and here it is. Can you trust God? Not only is God trustworthy, but will you choose to trust God? Do you have a relationship with him and a confidence in him that you believe he's with you in adversity, even though you don't see evidence right now? I want to share with you four words as we think about prescription. These are four prescriptive words for us. Are you feeling like David? 3,000 years ago, he wrote a prayer, prayer journal in Psalm 27 becomes a song. And people sang it. For 3,000 years, it's led people, God's people in worship. And it's put some words to their own heart language. If you feel anxiety, what's the prescription? Well, here's four prescriptive words for us. Here's the first one. It's simple, but it's profound. The word is God. The call to action would be to call on God. The question, can you trust God with the two separate meanings that we were looking at? When worry, when stress, and when doubt are your daily companions, do you believe that God is there too? Can we count on him like we count on the anxiety to be there? This brings To the second meaning of that word, the question of trusting God, do I have a strong relationship with the Lord? Do I bring my anxiety? Do I bring my adversity to him? Here's a verse that has the prescription embedded in it. Psalm 50, call upon me, this is God speaking, He says, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. But call upon me. The first prescriptive word is God. Call on God. The second one, maybe the second step, take four of these and call me in the morning, is to go. Go directly to him. You call on God, and you go to him. We can go to God in a couple of ways. The first of these is the word prayer. Check this out. In Philippians chapter 4, I, I, if you wrestle with anxiety, memorize these verses. Commit these to memory. Repeat them when you feel your heart fluttering, when you feel anxious. By the way, can I remind you that Paul, who wrote these words, God's Holy Spirit spoke through him. Paul's in a Roman jail cell. When he writes these words back to the church in Philippi, I bet you he was feeling anxiety. He was going to be killed for his faith. He's facing certain death. And he writes these words, Do not be anxious about anything. Do you feel anxiety? Move through it. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Talk to him. And the peace of God when you're feeling anxiety This is the anecdote. This is what you want. This is what you crave. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. You feel anxious? Well, go to God. Have you talked with him? Have you shared with him how you feel? Have you written your own psalm of anxiety? second way to go to God is to open up your Bible. What does he have to say about this? Listen to God. I dare you, if you're feeling anxious, spend some time in God's word and just see what he has to speak to you. The third prescriptive word, if we're looking at prescriptive words, take three of these, four of these, and call me in the morning, is the word separate. Separate yourself from the anxiety. Move past it. Get out of that stimuli at least for a brief moment so you can capture your breath. Can I remind you of this truth? Anxiety is not who you are. Anxiety is not who you are. You are more than a feeling. You are more than a thought of stress and worry. These are only feelings that you have. When describing anxiety, describe it with some distance from yourself. For example, instead of saying, I'm anxious, I am anxious. Maybe say it this way, I'm feeling anxious. Do you see the difference there? I'm separating myself from the feeling. God has given us the ability to control our anxious feelings and thoughts. Since we have called on him, that was step one. We've gone to him in prayer by reading his word. That's step two. Now we can name our feeling or our thought. "Is just a feeling. It's just a thought. And not use I am. Anxiety is not who you are or were or will be. It's an emotion. Nothing more. It shouldn't summarize us. Step four. Take four of these and call me in the morning. Purpose. God, go to God. Separate yourself from the the anxiety-producing stimuli in your life. And find a purpose for anxiety you got to do with that? I love what James says. Remember, James is prescriptive. While Psalms might be primarily descriptive, this is what I'm feeling James is saying, hey, here's a pill that you can take. James chapter 1 verse 2, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God has something to teach you, something to stir up inside you, even in this moment. What you've gone through in your experiences with anxiety has not been in vain. God always uses the experiences in our lives to draw us closer to him if we let them. People, millions of people deal with anxiety You're in an amazing position in this moment to help maybe a fellow brother or sister in Christ or maybe somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Maybe it's your one. As you share, I was feeling anxious and God is helping me through this. David had so many reasons to feel anxiety on his watch. Can you imagine being the witness to an entire city slaughtered and then feeling like it's on your shoulders of responsibility? It happened on his watch because of him. What does he do? He writes a song for anxiety. And so should you. The bottom line, as we take these songs and we stretch them out over the next five weeks, and I would encourage you, don't miss a week. They're going to be incredible weeks each time we're looking at one of these stories, these songs. The bottom line is this. God's word is powerful. And he speaks clearly through the ages. He spoke through the Psalms to his people in 1,000 B.C., 3,000 years ago. In 1925, when my uncle's book was written, he spoke powerfully through the Psalms. In 1957, when my uncle purchased it, God still speaks. And he speaks today if we're willing to listen. Would you bow your heads?
0: Let's go to him in prayer.